My brothers and sisters, how exciting it is to be in the fourth Sunday of Advent, and Christmas is right around the corner. We're waiting for the birth of our Savior. Today, I would like to focus on our first text from the prophet Isaiah. Okay, not so much the gospel, but this prophetic text about the virgin conceiving, bearing a son, and naming him Emmanuel. I want to focus really on Mary, on Our Lady herself, and her so, so important role in God's all-wise plan of salvation for the human race. And so I want to encourage us to adore the wisdom of God and to appreciate the central role that Mary plays in that wisdom. So through her prayers, I ask God that I would be able to be given the words to articulate such an awesome, wonderful mystery centering upon surrounding Our Lady and her son. First, I'm going to give you a little bit of a kind of an immediate historical context of this prophecy in Isaiah 7, and then I'm going to back up a little bit and give you a bigger global context and then end with a bit of an application. So the immediate context is as follows. Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, 735 years before the birth of Christ, is all by itself. It's kind of isolated. And all the rest of the tribes of Israel have separated themselves from union with Judah. And moreover, they've gone so far as to actually turn themselves against their brother tribe, Judah. So Judah's all by itself. It's got the rest of the 12 tribes against it. And uh, moreover, not only is the, the, the northern kingdom against Judah, they're in league with a foreign power. They're in league with Syria. And Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel are conspiring together to go and to invade Judah, to surround Jerusalem, to take it over, and to kill the incumbent king, and to replace him, and to set up a puppet king in his place. And so Ahaz is the king in Jerusalem, in the kingdom of Judah, and he's really worried about this. This has got him and the rest of Judah uh, very much disturbed, very much disturbed. we got to remember that all of God's promises focus upon and concentrate upon the kings of Judah. The kings of Judah are the heirs of King David. And it was to King David that God made the promise that the Messiah was going to come through his lineage. So, if Ahaz is killed and a puppet king from another nation is put on the throne of Judah, what happens to God's promises? It's a lot at stake. Lots at stake. God's purpose, God's plan for Israel and ultimately for all of the world is in jeopardy. It's in peril right now. It's a really big deal. Okay, so let's kind of up the ante, back up a little bit more, and look at things from an even more big-picture global perspective. From the beginning of human history, as soon as the first human beings sinned and through their fault brought sin and death into human history, there was a promise made by God. A prophecy was put forward. And we go back to Genesis chapter 3 to learn about this prophecy. 
God says to the devil, who's symbolized by a serpent, he says, I will place enmity between you and the woman. So right from the beginning, we hear about the woman. Between your seed and her seed. Right from the beginning, we hear about the seed or the offspring of the woman. And he says, moreover, that the seed of the woman will strike the head of the serpent and will overthrow the kingdom of the devil. So we have this promise right from the beginning of a woman and her seed. Okay? Now, let's go to Abraham. 2,000 years before the birth of Christ, 4,000 years ago, the prophet Abraham was called, and he as well was given a promise. The promise that was there from the beginning is renewed and made more precise, more specific. And God says to Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Let's zoom ahead another thousand years. We're going through history pretty quick here, aren't we? Let's zoom ahead another thousand years. King David is raised up by God. God, again, promises. We hear about the seed again. God promises to David, I will raise up your seed after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom forever. So the promised Messiah is going to come through the Davidic lineage, through, through David's uh, line and, and descendants, his kingly descendants. This seed that we hear about, the seed of the woman. Okay, where'd the woman go, though? Well, she shows up again. Let's jump ahead another 250 years. Okay, we're in the year 735. Judah is in peril. The lineage of David is in peril. Perhaps it's going to be cut off. And so comes the prophecy. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and his name will be Emmanuel. So now the woman and her seed show up yet again. Yet we have more precision, more clarity about what this is all about. Now in this prophecy, something interesting is going on because as in so much of the Old Testament prophecy, there is an immediate fulfillment, but then there's an ultimate fulfillment. Now, there is an immediate fulfillment to this prophecy because Isaiah goes on, we don't hear about it in our lectionary, but Isaiah goes on, he says, the virgin will conceive and bear a child and she will call him Emmanuel and before the child reaches the age of reason, six years old, seven years old, the two kingdoms before whom you're cowering, okay, Israel and Syria, They'll be laid waste. They're going to be handicapped. They're going to be crippled. Their threat is going to be annulled. Okay? Because another kingdom, God in his providence, is going to allow to come in and kind of defeat in a military battle these other kingdoms. Okay? So it was Assyria that was going to come in and defeat Syria and Israel. And therefore, take the, free up Judah so that the kings can survive. The word that's translated in our lectionary as virgin has got kind of a broader meaning. It can mean young unmarried woman. Okay? And the word, the, the concept of virgin in the strict sense is implicit in that broader term, but it's, it's kind of hidden in there. Alright? Sort of contained in it, but the word itself has a broader sort of meaning. It means young unmarried woman. And so there is an immediate fulfillment. 
in a woman by the name of Abijah, who was one of the wives of Ahaz, who gave birth to Hezekiah, who was a successor on the Davidic throne. All right? So that threat to David's line being cut off is no more and is saved essentially by Hezekiah, who's the next king. He's the heir king. Okay? And so before Hezekiah is of the age of six or seven or so, the threat of the northern kingdom in Syria has been annulled. And that actually took place in the year 733. But 733 was not the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy. 733 was not the ultimate and final fulfillment of this prophecy. And we know this because, properly speaking, the son, Emmanuel, who would be born of the virgin, is the Messiah. And we know that from the context. Chapter 7 through 12 of Isaiah are referred to by scholars as the book of Emmanuel. And when you go into the context of these chapters, you see a prophetic vision of the final ideal king who is to come and who is to bring in the final kingdom of God and peace throughout the whole world. And so in Isaiah chapter 9, we have a son is given to us. A child is born to us. And uh, the government shall rest upon his shoulders. He shall be called Mighty God, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. And then two chapters later, in Isaiah 7, we have what we heard two weeks ago about the Spirit of the Lord resting upon the Messiah, Spirit of judgment and justice, and that he'll bring forth justice for the poor and that his kingdom will be from the river to the ends of the earth. And he's going to usher in the final age, the end of the world, the resurrection of the dead, so forth and so on. And so, my brothers and sisters, 733 was not the fulfillment of this Isaiah prophecy about the virgin and her offspring. I'm going to zoom forward another 500 years, okay? 200 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah gets published, so to speak, in the broader world, in the Greek-speaking world. Okay? It gets spread amongst the Gentiles. And it's translated into Greek. And the Jewish, Greek-speaking Jewish people who translate it take that word and they translate it with that hidden meaning, with the exact precise concept of virgin. Okay? And that's the word, it's, it's in Greek, it's parthenos. It's a precise meaning of virgin. So that implicit, hidden, prophetic meaning is brought out in this translation. And that's the translation that the Gospel of Matthew refers to when it says, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. So what we're talking about is a miracle. What we're talking about is the only woman who has ever conceived virginally in the history of humanity. The only woman who was chosen by God from all eternity and prophesied about from the beginning of human history. What we're talking about is Mary of Nazareth. How special, how awesome of a woman she is. My brothers and sisters, simple application for us as I end my homily is 
that God is in control of history. From our perspective, from like a worm's eye perspective, on the grounds, all these different things that happen in history seem chaotic, haphazard, chance. But when, by the word of Holy Scripture and the prophetic voice of the prophets, our poor perspective is lifted up to God's own perspective, all of that chaos turns to order. And all of that haphazard randomness is seen as the most wise plan that could have ever been, that no human being could have created. And we see what a great privilege it is for us to play a small role in that awesome plan. How awesome is that vocation? How grateful to God should we be to play a role in all of that. And we come to see and we learn that Mary is at the heart of that all-wise and all-holy plan for humanity. She's right at the heart. Without her, our Lord Jesus Christ could not have taken upon himself flesh so as to suffer and die on the cross for our sins, to save all humankind. We owe it to Mary and her cooperation her free cooperation with God's calling upon her. Let's have a great and deep devotion to her. Let's draw close to her. In drawing close to her, we draw close to the heart of the mystery of God's own wisdom. Let's trust her. Let's have a great devotion to her. As she was central in God's plan for the salvation of the world, So she continues in heaven to be absolutely central. And we can go to her with all our worries, all our concerns, all our needs. When our hearts are shaken, like the heart of Ahaz was when he was being threatened by Israel and by Syria, we can turn to her and she can help us. This Christmas, my brothers and sisters, let's appreciate anew who Mary is. Let's turn to her in prayer. And let's adore the almighty wisdom of God and thank him for being able to play a little role in that great wisdom.